Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I'm your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? I'm looking forward to two things this summer, getting back to the ballpark with my kids and getting the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow back on the calendar. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All we need you to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There is no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in your community, reach out and let's have a conversation today. Hi, Gail. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I think you and I met. I think you attended one of our seminars or something about maybe this time last year. Uh, we've had a couple of conversations since then. I know you're a regular listener of the podcast. Um I'm delighted that we, and, and you know what? I think we have tried several, several times. Uh, I think I've dropped the ball. Maybe you have too, trying to get you on the schedule. Um, I apologize for that, but I'm delighted that we're here together. Um, how about before we dive into our topic of discussion today, you just, uh, we just ask you to introduce yourself. Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Jason, for having me um, today. Um, so I'm Gail Carter. I'm the Vice President of Development for the University of Charleston, and that's in Charleston, West Virginia, um, the other Charleston, um, as people here like to call it. Um, <laughs> how how often do you, Gail, how often do you have to say that, the other Charleston? A lot. And <laughs> my will, my uh, the, the reason I asked, my wife and I uh, met and married in Savannah, and we honeymooned in the other, other Charleston. Right. And so. Um, 
And yeah. so I don't, I, you know, I love this, this town. Um, I've lived here pretty much all my life, so I don't, nothing against it, but I've literally gotten on an airplane before and they make that announcement when you're uh, leaving, let's say Charlotte or Atlanta, because um, you pretty much always have to connect on planes and they'll make a big point to say, you know, you're on this plane and you're boarded to go to Charleston, West Virginia. And I have literally seen somebody raise their hand or stand up and kind of go, oops, I'm on the wall. <laughs> right? so, so, so it is kind of funny. Have you, have you been to the other Charleston? Oh, absolutely. Great city. And, Great and, city. and, and, and do you have a preference? I mean, I know you, uh, would you stay you'd stay in your charleston rather than that charleston uh i would really i mean my my family's here like i said i've grown up here and i really enjoy being surrounded by uh beautiful mountains beautiful landscape which is something west virginia really has a lot of Um, and 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 that which you could not get in um in charleston south carolina that's right it's on the water lots of history um, yeah, my wife and I, uh, enjoy, um, I, I think the only time I got to admit, Gail, I think the only time I, I don't think I've spent as much time in Charleston, West Virginia as I, <laughs> Charleston, West Virginia for me is, uh, I, is it I-77 that goes right yep, through? It's a, a drive through city. It's a drive through city. Right? But I, get a, I get a lot of that from people. I think I've been through there before and I'm like, you need to. You need to take a, take a little break off the interstate, take an exit. And, uh, we've got. You know, you'd think it would be really booming because of all the interstates that run through us. So we have 77, 64, and 79. And yeah. So yeah, it's people, it's people moving. It's people moving somewhere from the south. Generally, it's it like for us, we lived in south the southwest corner of Virginia for a while. My wife and I, before we started having children, and we dry, and my parents lived up in Ohio. And so, as you can imagine, we got on 77 and... And we'd go through, we'd cross through, uh, we'd cross through those, those winding hills and mountains in, in uh, right where you're at in the middle of the night sometimes. Sure. It's, it's, it's nobody, scary. nobody enjoys that West Virginia turnpike when you cross <laughs> the southern border of West Virginia. Um, and actually by the time you get about to Charleston, uh, just outside, uh, you're, you're close to finishing that really windy section of interstate. Um, And then it's kind of your home free from there. So yeah, um, I get it. I get it for sure. Yeah. So Gail, you and I agreed to talk about what today? Um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I've I've been in this role um, almost 12 months um, and just looking at, at leading a team um, of course, during, during COVID at this point, um, with uh, just donor and alumni engagement, um, you know, for a higher education institution and how that's, um, you know, the, the, I guess, challenge, but also some success that we've had. Um, yeah. That. You know, the, 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 I, I think, I think it was at about the point that you and I first met uh, when you, when you attended that, I think it was, a, it must, it had to have been a virtual seminar because we weren't doing in-person seminars this time <laughs> right. last year and you were brand new in this role. Um, and so now you have done your, but, but this is not a, this is not a first stop in fundraising for you. This is just your first stop in perhaps the senior most role. Am I right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So what is it? So at a very, you know, 30,000 foot view, what is it like to be in your first senior fundraising leadership role in the midst of a pandemic? How would you describe that? 
very challenging. Uh, <laughs> you know, first, first off, just trying to get to know your team members a little bit. Um, yeah. Trying to learn. Uh, luckily for me in this in this role, I am from from this town, and this university is you know very small private uh, school, and yeah. so we're very community oriented. Um, and so we, you know, I, I sort of had the advantage stepping into the role that I knew, um, a, a large percentage, I would say of the donor, you know, community, um, and alumni surrounding the area. So I, I had that advantage, but it was still a matter of, you know, when you first take a job, you want to kind of be out and about talking to everybody and, Hey, want to tell you I'm here. And, and that was absolutely not possible. Um, <laughs> So very, very challenging. Um, and, and like I said, challenging to start learning the team and building that, that trust and even that, um, you know, kind of meshing. I mean, team is um, very important to me um, yeah. as lead, you know, as a leader in this office. And yeah. so um, team amongst the institution is really important, but I really um, think part of the reason I, I was able to, to, uh, walk into this role or earn this role was um, because of my viewpoint on that um, and how much I think, how important I think that is, um, you know, in a, in a, in a leadership role, but also in a, in a development office. Um, and so we're development and alumni relations. Um, so that was that alumni relations, although relationship building is not something new to me, having that, that that was that's a big that's been a big difference for me um, in in a big learning curve um, in the alumni relations side of things. So, Gail, before we dive into what the last year looked like for you, what would you say you brought to the table coming into it that particularly prepared you, given the context of literally starting a brand new senior most role in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, you could probably write a little book or at least a little book about that, right? <laughs> yeah. You can write something about walking into your office on the first day, meeting your boss, somebody hands you a computer and they say, now go home. <laughs> That's, you know, I don't know. You can come up with some book title for that. Cause I literally was here for four hours didn't know my way around the buildings and it's a ghost town and there's no one here because they had all um, gone home, you know, to work at the end of uh, March, literally about a week before I started. Um, So that was my experience on my first day. Like I sit in my office all by myself. I'm literally all by myself. There's maybe, I don't know, there could have been, you know, 15 people on our whole campus. Yeah. Uh, It is a ghost town. And, um, you know, so that, yeah, that, that experience was, was quite something. I mean, I had to call somebody up on the phone to kind of find my way around the building, you know, and say, well, where, where is this or where's that? And where's that turn? But, um, back to your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, I just, I want to know, I want to know what, did, did you, did you draw on any particular experiences prior to showing up that you, you, and, and maybe you realize this later down the road, you were like, okay, that's what helped me get, because it was, you know, it was probably those, those first 30 to 60 days for anybody, all of us, whether we were in new jobs or whatever we were doing, almost were like shock. Um, I don't know that anybody accomplished too much between about the, like this time last month, it was literally the middle of March till probably April in you know, a later part of April before we really thought we sort of got our bearings about us. Right. Um, 
I, I was, to be honest, I think it was like adrenaline for me, which yeah. sounds kind of crazy because here I am at home um, and everybody's working from home and you don't kind of know what's going on. But I, I really was working on a lot of adrenaline because it was like, I want to do this, 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 this. And then, you know, as you may or may not know, after you sit on about four Zoom meetings in a morning, yeah. um, you're kind of shot for the day. And yeah. so I, I think it was more drawing on, um, you know, gosh, just life experiences and trying to be honestly empathetic and understanding because it was su it was such a hard time for everyone, um, including myself. And I had that kind of excitement of, oh, I've got a new job. I've got, you know, I, I want to accomplish all these things, but I, yet I want to sit back and learn. Um, and at the same time, I'm, I'm also a part of the leadership team here at the university. And so they're making, they're having big meetings about how are we going to, we've just sent all of our students home. How are we going to accomplish these things with COVID? How are we going to bring people back in the fall? I mean, there were um, multiple, you know, what, what used to be like a monthly leadership meeting was, you know, could be twice a week. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, consumed a lot of my time and just that, but I would say, you know, using a lot of empathy. Um, and, and I don't say that in a, in a, I don't want that to sound negative. Um, but, you know, I think I needed a lot of that to just try to be, you know, understanding and, and it's not hard when everyone's in that same similar situation, um, that we're all stuck at home. We're all amongst our family members or maybe not, you know, yeah. maybe by them single by themselves. And, you know, that's just, in some ways I thought that might be tougher, you know, than yeah. having, you know, kids running around in the background, um, trying to go to school, having trouble with the internet, can't print on their printer, you know, and you're, and I'm sitting in a zoom meeting and my right. kids aren't, I don't have small kids, but I have employees that have small kids, you yeah. know? So, um, so I don't, I don't know that that's, uh, that there's a lot of work experience that I can you, really do. Do you think you, do you think you benefited from, I mean, we've all started new jobs. We've all started new jobs. And for those first couple of weeks, maybe for the first six months, there's a lot of pressure for you to just sort of prove your, I, I don't know. It, it would seem to me like in some ways, some of that pressure had to sort of, sort of had to give way because in some cases, I mean, you don't have that sort of, I have to be present and I have to sort of show up a particular way. All you really had to do was, you know, clean yourself up and show up for Zoom meetings in some <laughs> ways. And, and and in some ways they're all new to the it's it's the environment. It's 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 no longer about it's you know, this time last year for a lot of people, I have to imagine it wasn't so much about who was new and who wasn't new. It was that we were all collectively new to this new environment, right? Um, I, I would agree some. I would disagree in the fact that I, here I am starting a new job and I, yeah. I didn't know who to go to. And so, you know, when normally maybe in, yeah. a, in other jobs I've, I've started, um, you know, you had somebody who might walk you around and kind of introduce <laughs> you to a bunch of right. people. And not right. that I'm going to remember every single name and every single position and who they are, but at least people knew, you know, they know that you're new. They know that you're here. They, yeah. I, that wasn't even possible. Right. Right. You know, That's so true. I would say in that, from that perspective, that first month, yeah. it was like, I would email somebody and say, 
hey, I, it was like almost like, hey, I think you're the person that I need to talk to about this. <laughs> yeah. And then we would meet each other on Zoom for the first time. And I can't tell you how funny it was when we actually came back to our campus um, in our offices before the fall semester started. So we were back a lot earlier than a lot of other folks, even here in, in Charleston, um, yeah. as far as going back to an office. So it was about mid-July when I started coming back daily. Yeah. Um, but gosh, when you actually see somebody in the hall, the comment was like, oh, I didn't know how you looked right? <laughs> because all they'd seen me for was, you know, from the neck up basically like this my headshot, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is who you are, you know, but that was pretty comical. Um, and that lasted, you know, many months just because we're still, you know, the, the emphasis of course, through the fall semester was gosh, let's, let's, which was awesome was let's get our students back on campus. Let's get our employees back on campus. Let's try to be as, safe as possible. So, you know, you need to stay in your office as much as you can. You really don't want to be walking around in amongst yeah. too many people. Um, so that was, yeah, it was, it's definitely been a different type of, of learning experience, but. Um, so tell me know, about, so, so tell us about some of the highlights. I know you had a, a so I know you had some, you, you, you were telling me earlier before you hit the, uh, before I hit the record button about your give day, what were some of the uh, things that you look back and you say, man, we really pulled that off really well. Yeah. So I'd say give day um, that just happened for us um, in February. So really um, I feel like there was a lot of, a lot, we hit a lot of strides leading, did a lot of work to even get us to that point. And that wasn't our, um, it's not our largest, um, you know, fundraising event, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, but it was it was really important because it's such a big engagement event for us. Um, so it's not a big dollar event for us, but it's really an engagement event. And it really, um, the way that we do it, um, we really get our students and our faculty and our staff and our coaches. I mean, everybody on campus um, is involved. And so I think we we do that a little bit differently maybe than others do. Um so, uh, you know, that that certainly has been a highlight and a, and a success of the year. But I think the success has come from the work that was done virtually um, for the most part over the last, you know, nine or 10 months prior to that um, and leading up to that to get us to that point. And it really just I think it was almost like a step off the, um, you know, it's like jumping off the diving board. Like we were kind of walking out to the, you know, you what tip kind of carefully walk out to the end of that board and then you want to take a big leap. Um, and so that was, that was kind of our, I think our leap into gosh, now we're coming into, we've got a few more months till the end of our fiscal year. Um, you know, and, and so that focus, it, it, I just think it's helped us to focus. And for me, it's helped me to see, um, what we have been able to accomplish, um, virtually, but yet at the same time, the virtual thing is really exciting, but yet everybody now is still chomping at the bit for when are we going to, when are we going to be back in person? When are we going to be able to, you know, do something, but we weren't an office that um, I would say completely halted everything um, yeah. through COVID. Like we, I know different, different organizations, different nonprofits definitely looked at things differently. I wouldn't say we were sensitive during like the March to probably May, June period, yeah. but it was also another end of the year for us. Um, and so very important to try to 
you know, finish things up and kind of meet our goals, um, meet the school's goals, you know, on, on, on that, on those fundraising efforts. Um, so I, you know, but, but some of the things I think that we success, the way we got into give day and I, I can describe that a little bit was really through that donor and alumni engagement. Um, and so, you know, it, it was hard to overcome, um, especially in the beginning, I think Zoom was new to people, you know, Teams was new to people. And so getting over that hurdle of like, are you okay with that? Whereas now um, I personally don't even know that I enjoy having conference calls as much or really phone calls as much, even though it's more convenient. um, I still really want that person to person interaction. And so I would much rather set up a Zoom or a team's meeting for my, for myself when I'm talking to people then. Um, and so that's just kind of become habit for me now. Right. Which, right. You know, and, and I, I think that's a huge positive that's come out of it. Another big positive for us is it's with that alumni engagement is it's allowed us to really go beyond our borders. And for a small school like ours on a really small development office budget, yeah. um, you know, we don't have the funds to be able to, I mean, we have to be very strategic about if we travel, where we travel, how we travel, you know, those things. And so, I mean, to me, huge success and positive is we've begun to engage alums that really weren't engaged before and now feel like, hey, we can really be a part of this school again um, because we can't always travel to Charleston, West Virginia. It's not always the easiest place to get to. And if I live in... Texas, the amount of time that takes me, et cetera, you know, we don't have, we're not a, you know, D1 sports school. I mean, we're an awesome D2 sports school. I will say that we've got two basketball teams right now in the NCAA's division two tournament. I mean, so that's really exciting. Um, And we have some great sports, but, you know, we're not a a large D1 school where people always want to come back and, and, and be on campus and be a part, you know, be a part of everything. Um, and have a lot of reasons to do that and have big football games or athletic events, you know, to do that. So, um, do, do you think, um, do, do you think because that expectation, I, I, I've had a number of conversations where people have sort of said some of the things you've just similar things to, to what you just said. And what occurs to me is, is that if organization, if a smaller school like yourself, a D2 school starts to take fundraising really seriously, and they know how to engage with their donors in meaningful ways. And now the necessity of having the big budget that to fly yourselves around the country is no longer necessary or an expectation. You now become, uh, if you will, a big a bigger player just simply because the high touch engagement that you can create from a setting just like what we're creating right here is a universal capability. I mean, nobody, no big, no bigger school necessarily has a bigger. I mean, how much of a Zoom budget do you really need, right? I mean, right. <laughs> you know, I, I do agree with you there. I, I think the potential is is much larger for us. But I think, you know, I think you also um, pointed out the expectations are different, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the donor expectations, I think, are different um, because we, we definitely um, don't have to use the budget money, you know, to, to fly to other States and to, you know, necessarily have those meetings. I'm not, not saying that we're not looking forward to getting back to some of that, Yeah. Um, but I think you can really, 
even be more strategic about it. Um, and, you know, go for maybe those really big gifts, still yeah. need those, those visits and those yeah. travel and that yeah. in person, you know, take, take somebody out to dinner, you know, have, have the meeting, et cetera, and kind of entertain a little bit. Um, and I, I think that's more than, more than needed, uh, and more than should be expected. Um, you know, I've, but- I've been reading, I've been reading, uh, there's, there's an author, there's a group of authors, academics who've been writing for about the last 10 years about a concept called perceived proximity. And, and the, this concept perceived proximity is all built around the, the use of, um, digital technologies. And, and they weren't talking, they weren't so much in their research initially talking about platforms like Zoom. They were talking about texting and stuff sure. and how, um, people in the workplace, are finding that you can actually, if you do this, if you do this well and, and, and you know how to create what they're calling perceived proximity, you can actually have the benefits that's that in some office environments, for example, where you actually are proximate to each other, they don't even have. Um, that 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 some people are just learning how to be literally on other sides of the world, but they know how to create this perceived proximity. And and I guess. And I guess, and I think this is what I'm sort of hearing you say, um, and, and I heard someone else tell me this too, the, the idea that when you can, when you can put Zoom, say, between an initial, you know, an initial gift, for example, and possibly a follow-up gift that you might want to ask in person, you know, having a Zoom call like this, you know, creates an opportunity to develop more rapport and familiarity and those sorts of things. Um, I think I had a previous guest, we were, we were joking about the idea that what Zoom allows you to do in advance of that first real in-person meeting is, is it prevents that awkwardness of sitting in the restaurant and looking at everybody wondering if the next person that walks in is that person you've never met. You know what I'm talking about? And you're <laughs> yeah. meeting somebody. And, yeah. uh, and so at least now this, you know, you and I have never been physically in the room together, but if we met at a, a restaurant in six months, we'd know who we, t- who we, who we were because we've actually, you know, digitally sat in the same room together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that familiarity is, is, um, very helpful really. Um, you know, and I think it will be helpful going forward, um, for us as we are able to start, start getting out more and traveling. And and we might see, you know, it occurs to me too, we might see actually a, a more positive response to the request to meet in person. You know, it's harder to say no to a person once you've looked them in the eye. And so if you can look them in the eye on Zoom and then that person can have the if, if you ask for that meeting, in, it's it's always, you know, it's hard enough to get meetings. But, you know, being able to ask for a meeting while you're looking at someone is, is perhaps a little easier. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as we, you know, so we um, I guess as I started, you know, it was. How, how are we going to manage this right now? Everybody's stuck at home, but they've got a lot of time on their hands. So I think like a lot of, um, I, I don't know, like maybe not like a lot of other nonprofits, but what we, we did basically was start picking up the phone um, yeah. and making a lot of calls. And, you know, we had more than enough time and people had time to talk to us. And it was, it was, it was a great way, I think, to start or to continue really. I shouldn't say start because this office was, was, well-established when I got here, Um, you know, but it was a great way to continue the conversations and to continue relationships and steward, 
you know, donors um, through COVID of just, hey, how are you doing? How is your family? Is everybody okay? Are you safe? Um, we care about you, yeah. you know, and, and we did a lot of that, um, in the first, I'd say three months. So a lot of, you know, March, April, May was a lot of just check, check-in calls. Yeah. Um, but that really, I think, I think that's one aspect of what, you know, helped us to, and, and helped me to start meeting some people that way too, um, was, Hey, Hey guys, Hey team, give me a list of who I need to be speaking with, um, you, you you all have your calls to make. I'm going to do the same. Um, and even if, you know, some of my calls were to board members, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just large donors necessarily, but it was, it was board members. It was trying to introduce myself to people. Like I said, just trying to get around and kind of meet people, even within the institution, um, you know, trying to, to learn who the deans were to learn. I mean, it sounds very, uh, it, it, some ways very basic, but, uh, that was all much more challenging. Um, and then when I came to campus, um, the reality that we had had a lot of, um, we had had some, um, uh, I guess like town hall type meetings for the school. So we had town hall meetings for say faculty and staff. We had had town hall meetings for students and parents. And so then all of a sudden people recognized me when I didn't know that. Um, and that's just something different that I'm not, I, I wasn't really accustomed to or used to. Um, but did, but it's, did your donors, did you notice, did you know, uh, did you notice donors were calling you back? Yes. Um, for, I would say, yeah, for the most part, um, when we couldn't get them, although initially, it was fairly easy to catch people. Right, right. <laughs> they were not doing anything, and I think everyone wanted to. You know, it was yeah. more exciting than not to actually pick up the phone and talk. Right, to right. Um, so they didn't really have like Zoom set up, so that's why I say we did a lot of phone calling in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but then as the summer progressed, we we worked our way into that a little bit more, um, and and it still took took some time to be comfortable with that. And and how do you approach that? Like, do you pick up the phone and call somebody and say, Hey, can we have a zoom meeting? Or do you, you know, email them? Um, which I tended to do more, um, sort of for me, it's a respect of time thing. So, you know, I'm going to email you and say, Hey, do you have time on this day and this hour, um, to do that? And I think I I personally think donors are more receptive to that, um, rather than just getting the kind of surprise phone call. Even though they're happy to hear from you, I guess I feel like I'm imposing more and I got I've gotten a much better response from sort of setting up and scheduling those times and calls. And people seem to then be able to kind of take a breath, have time to talk with you about things and and want to hear more, you know, want to hear about what's going on at the school and what new things we're doing and and growing. So So um, did you did you all ask for some extraordinary gifts on Zoom? Um, I have, I mean, I have, we, we had a, uh, we've got a large, uh, capital project that's going to yeah. be, uh, that's actually starting. It'll be completed this summer. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, through the fall, um, that was done. That was definitely done that way. Was I, it, I was, was, was there anything unique about it? I haven't, uh, it's, it's not a question I've actually asked a whole lot. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about some of the clients that I work with and, and the question was periodically asked, you know, do we, do we ask? And I said, yeah, you just put on the same, you just put on the same, anything that you would sort of bring to a, a regular meeting, you'd just be perfectly capable of 
sort of putting on that same face. Sure. Um, and uh, did you do? Was there anything particularly unique that you sort of had to pick up on, or did it did it pretty much work the same way? Um, I you know I, I feel like it was pretty similar. Yeah. Um, you know, you have those. The awkwardness might be when you're sharing your screen and you're trying to show them. So like I had, for instance, like floor plans. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, Hey, I want to show you this picture of this floor plan. Well, it's, it's easy and they can see it. Yeah. Um, although difficult if they're on a phone versus a computer. So that was a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, not knowing how somebody, what, what method and what they're going to use um, yeah. to do that. So that was a little challenge. And then, um, you know, then you can't, when you share your screen, you lose that um, face-to-face contact. So you can't see every, I'm, I'm very intuitive and you yeah. can't see every facial inspection, you know, uh, every flinch. Uh, yeah. and yeah. flinch and maybe an eye roll. I mean, I don't think there were, but you just don't know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that's, the other awkwardness is just the flow of conversations. I mean, even our conversation today, you know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult because you really have to kind of sit back and, and give that pause. And then sometimes there is like almost an awkward silence because you don't, you want to make sure you're, you're giving somebody else an opportunity yeah. to talk. And of course, when you're talking with donors, that's so important anyway, is you really want to sit back and listen more. Um, but I think that's, you know, probably a challenge that I have is just learning still that, that back and forth flow, um, yeah. you know, just in, in those more important conversations when you're really wanting to get the impression on, you know, what do you think of this? I've just asked you for, you know, <laughs> I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, let me sit back and let's all ponder that. But then there's almost like an awkward silence. Um, so did, I, did, I, in, did in some ways it actually go, do you think in some instances it actually went better because you didn't have the, you know, I have always been frustrated, um, you know, so making a solicitation, for example, in a restaurant is always the biggest pain in the, you know, what, yeah. um, uh, sometimes I get there early and I ask the way, you know, I let the waitress know what's going on or waiter and, and those sorts of things. Did you find that, that in some ways it just made it actually somewhat easier. I would, yes, I would think so. Um, yeah. Because th- you're not sitting together and eating. So there's not like that sometimes yes. awkwardness of, you know, eating and somebody's, you know, got a mouth. I mean, I, I hate <laughs> to say that, but those are, those are all those things you yeah. have to worry about is, Oh, they've got a mouthful of food and I've just asked them a question, yeah. you know, or I can't eat anything because I'm sitting here talking so much. Yeah. Or, so you you know you, you're you're kind of forcing that that time and yeah. you're hoping that you know they're they're probably much more focused to be honest yeah um, I think I'm much more focused even you know you don't have the distraction of the restaurant and worrying about that waitress and worrying about other people in the room and who's there and hopefully nobody can hear this and it, you know I mean those some of those kind of issues too. Um, and, and just for privacy issues, it's not, you know, yeah, I've run into the, yeah. I mean, I've, I think throughout my career, I've done a, a fair balance of, you know, meeting in restaurants, meeting in coffee shops, meeting in private homes and, and then in, in offices. And I have to say that 
you know, between the, the, the thing about the offices, for example, which I, I would imagine um, some of your meetings would have worked. This, you'd be meeting with people while they were in their home office. Um, but oftentimes you're meeting with a, you know, you'd be, I, I'd go up to New York and I'd be meeting with a, you know, senior executive in a large firm or something. And he or she would be getting calls, you know, and, and they would take those meetings or they would take those interruptions. And that was, that was equally as frustrating oftentimes as a waiter or waitress might've been. Um, yeah. I don't, um, I don't, I definitely don't feel like all of those distractions necessarily were there. Yeah. Um, right. In, in, in that respect, I think you're right. I think it, it was almost, these have been almost easier yeah. um, than having to deal with all those complications uh, or distractions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like you all are eager to, so there is an eagerness to, um, I, I got to tell you, Gail, I'm ready to just get to a baseball game. I'm a baseball guy. <laughs> um, b- b- before I, um, I, I've had you chatting for more than a half hour, Gail, but um, outside of your work, is there anything you're just itching to get back to? Um, you know, I I think just even small gatherings. Yeah. People, I, I mean, the part I think that I, love about where I live is that um, it is a small community. And, you know, I tend to know a lot of people when I go out places and I enjoy that. And I just enjoy the small talk. Um, It's not even doesn't even have to do with my job, but just enjoy seeing people. Um, And, you know, it's been, I can't tell you, I've had a few zoom calls where I'm in a big maybe group call where I serve on a committee of, you know, another nonprofit. And I get so excited when I see somebody on the screen that I probably haven't seen in months. Right. Um, and sure, I can pick up the phone and call them or I can email them or text them or whatever. But it's not the same as, you know, you go in the grocery store and everybody's masked and everyone's kind of on their mission. And you yeah. don't have that opportunity to just stand and, and say hello. Right. And, you know, catch up just a little bit. It's everyone's really on that mission. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Stay, you know, socially distance, <laughs> all those things. And and so I'm just looking forward to being able to to get back to feeling comfortable and other people feeling comfortable, um, you know, going out a little bit, even if it is just I'm OK with the small groups, you know, or even the, you know, five, six people. Um, yeah. And we're, we're actually here in West Virginia. It is. Um, it is, I think, lessening just a little bit. We just last week, um, our governor kind of opened things up, but we're still staying masked. Um, but we're leading the nation in, uh, you know, in, in vaccinations as well. Um, you know, and so it's, you know, for us, that is, um, that's, that's a great thing. And it's, I think really starting to, it's going to improve, I think you know, quality of life soon. But, um, you know, it, it, I think utmost it's going to help us to be able to get out with our donors again and go have at least cups of coffee, but also, you know, spring's coming. And so we're, I think we're just, that seems to be exciting enough um, just to know that maybe we can get back outside and meet with people. Yeah. Um, Cause we've had a, it's been a tough, I kind of knew going into it, but December, January, February were pretty tough yeah. uh, because yeah. everyone was stuck inside. Yeah, um, we've had our we always get a little taste here in Charleston of some really great weather, and we're having it this week. And the high is like 65, 70, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the afternoons. And so 
it's that I think for us, it's that glimmer of hope and excitement of, gosh, we're going to be able to, this is going to happen and we're going to be able to do this. Um, and whether we can have big events and big gatherings now, I mean, that's what our alumni want. Um, we're not there yet. Um, we're not, you know, we're not ready to make those types of decisions. And I think that's been some of the hardest parts of, of dealing with COVID is the wait and see and just how, uh, you know, flexible it's been, uh, or how flexible you have to be at all times. And I don't think, um, you know, I'm not sure how much the general public really understands that when it comes to, you know, really planning something or, Hey, are are we going to have homecoming in six months? I do not have a crystal ball. I have no idea, you know, what that's going to look like. I don't know what, I don't even know what April is really going to look like. Is there going to be this COVID surge again or not? And that's, of course, that's the fear, but that's, that's been the heart. I think that's been some of the biggest challenge um, is kind of leading through this is how how do you manage that? Um, Not only with employees, but also, um, you know, with donors and with, with alums Um, because they're, they're excited. They, nobody wants to be at home. Nobody wants, you know, everybody wants to get back out and, and especially now that people are getting vaccinated, it's it's the pressure is kind of increasing, I think, um, because it's, hey, I've, I've been vaccinated. Let's let's do this. Um, it's OK right. now. I'm not going to be as sick um, yeah. and not to get into the politics of, of vaccines at all. But um, I'm just saying, like, those are things that have that that's something that's come up recently. Um, yeah. Us and that perception that everything's OK now. I've been vaccinated and let's have a gathering. Um, when are we going to have, you know, a hundred plus person event? I mean, that's really what people are asking about. It's not going to lunch with someone or having coffee with somebody, yeah. but it's, it's having those big indoor events basically, or indoor outdoor even. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and, and maybe that's okay, but is it fun to have an event where everybody's masked and you can't have any food or drinks? Right. 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 Um, you know, so that's the, those are some things. But, um, you know, going back to our give day just a little bit, if that if we have a couple minutes to sure. do that, um, that was uh, I will tell you, we had like a big ice storm the, the and snow the night before. Um, and and what we do um, differently is we actually set up where I was talking earlier about uh, that. We really get our students and faculty and staff involved. And although it's mainly an online um you know, fundraising event. Um, we actually bring, uh, we, we, we have people sign up throughout the entire day, starting early in the morning through the evening. And we, we bring our students into, um, like a big, we call it a war room, but we use like our ballroom this year, um, just cause we needed more space. We spaced everyone out, but we, we kind of allow, we kind of ask them and, um, get their support for, giving them that opportunity to call on their family and friends at that during that time. Yeah. Um, and so we, we bring them together to do that, which is a little bit more fun environment because we can kind of, um, you know, we can sort of hang carrots out there and, Hey, we need to get hundred more donors or, Hey, we need to get to this finance, you know, this uh, dollar goal. Um, but the other, I think big thing and, and probably most important thing in the event that we do with that is as every single donation is coming in, we alert, we, people are, 
giving us their email addresses through that online donation form. Yeah. Um, they are getting a personal email thank you to them from somebody in that room um, within, I'd say, within 30 minutes of them donating money to our event that day. And that thank you, that personal thank you. So if you, Jason, um, you know, give $50 towards our, towards our project, um, and let's say you've selected that you were a member of the baseball team previously, we will send your email address. We will ask a baseball player that's sitting in the room with us um, to send Jason a thank you note for us. And so that baseball player, a current baseball player, sends a note through email to Jason yeah. and says, hi, Jason, thank you so much for your donation. My name is, you know, Joe, um, I, you know, is Joe and yeah. I'm on the baseball team and I'm a business major and I'm going to graduate in two years and we can't, we can't thank you enough for what, for what you've done. And it doesn't matter whether somebody donated $10 or whether they donated a thousand dollars that day um, to us. Every single person gets that personal touch. Yeah. Um, and that has been really successful for us, I think. And yeah. it just builds on itself. But I'd say as far as the feedback from donors, I get so much, I've gotten so much feedback from donors on that particular piece. So it's are you using not, a, um, are you using a particular platform for that. So the platform um, we've been using for our give day, not really. Uh, I mean, not okay. for the, not for getting the emails to yourself administrating them. You've got the you got the process set up there. We you do. figured that out. That's cool. Yeah. So we, you know, we've got, you know, that's cool. When people enter the room, they they kind of sign up for about an hour's block of time, and so we know who's there, and we can we can shoot them that information. The platform we use for. Our give day was called Give Campus. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But, uh, product, and they're pretty, yes. they're pretty well known, I think, peer to peer platform. But no, as far as the actual that actual uh, automation, it's all just internal. <laughs> Good, I like that. I like Process. that. I, there, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people are using different platforms, and there's people out there in the space designing things like that. But I think it, um, as you described yourself, intuitive. You know, I think, I think, I think some of the um, even when I hear about platforms that are being designed, I like knowing that that there's fundraisers at the heart of them because they, you know, um, either that or donors at the heart of. I've I've also heard right. of some pretty cool stuff being developed by donors who want to improve our effectiveness on our side because some of us botch it up pretty pretty terribly. So sure, um, well, Gail, it is um, it has certainly been a pleasure. We lose our listeners at about forty minutes. Um, if somebody's reaching out to you. Uh, they're interested in reaching out to you for whatever reason, how would you suggest that they do that? Um, probably the best way is by email. Okay. Um, and so my email is Gail Carter and it's G A I L um, Carter at U C W V dot E D U. And that's probably the, I'd say that's probably the best way. <laughs> well, Gail, it has certainly been a pleasure. You are always welcome. Glad you are always welcome back. I'm delighted that we had an opportunity to catch up today. Thanks so much, Jason. I appreciate it. 
Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.